Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight and the opportunity to study your word together. We pray that as we do so, our focus would not be on the distractions of our day or on the different things that we've interacted with or the worries, perhaps, of what's coming up or what we must do tomorrow. May we be able to focus at this point in on your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word and for giving it to us, along with the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. May we be in fellowship with you, allowing him to teach, having confessed our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our lesson this evening is on the origination of the sin nature which is a part of the fall of man. It's a consequence. So what we've done in the first two weeks, the first week we dealt with the creation of man. The second week we dealt with the fall of man. And this is a consequence of the fall of man. So it is a portion of the fall of man. When we identify the creation of man, we identify that God created man to possess three parts. The body, the human soul, and the human spirit. And each of those parts had a function. The body was the shell of man made from the dust of the earth. The soul is the essence of man, which is unique and comprised of what we call the inner man. The inner man is self-conscious, self-directing, and self-governing. And the human soul relates to all things which are human or to human phenomena. Phenomena is kind of just a fancy word for stuff. The human spirit is the spiritual counterpart of the soul. It is the nature of man as a spiritual being, which is able to communicate, relate to, and understand spiritual phenomena. So things that relate to humans and physical, the physical world, the soul relates to. Things that relate to spirits and the spiritual world, the human spirit was designed to relate to. What we learned was that as a result of the fall, we lost the human spirit. And that was because when God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die, the Hebrew phrase identifies that they will die instantly spiritually, and they will die in the future physically. So the roles and the function of each of those parts that we identified in what we call the trichotomy, or the trichotomous creation of humanity, made of three parts. The body was designed to function as housing the soul and human spirit in order to carry out the activity of the soul and the spirit. So the body is a vessel by which activity of the soul and activity of the spirit are carried out. The soul was designed to function in a manner that directed the body to carry out stewardship responsibilities, and stewardship is anything that you are given to be a manager or a steward over. God gives humanity responsibilities and activities to be a steward over. We're responsible to him for those activities. And in our original creation, in humanity's original creation, we were directly responsible to him uh, for those activities that he was telling us to do. Uh, in essence, Adam and Eve, before the fall, they were to guard the garden and keep it. The human spirit was designed to function as the governor of the soul, and its job was to govern the soul's use of the body under the spiritual thought process of God. So as the soul interacted in this human world system with the physical things and carried out the work God asked it to do, the spirit was the thinker of the soul to tell the soul how to do those things. So that with Adam's brain, he doesn't look at a plant and say, okay, I need to pull the weeds, but rather he gets instruction from God through the, his spirit and says, this is how God wants me to take care of it. So the spiritual knowledge directed the soul and the human spirit was designed to be the governor over the soul. The soul can accomplish tasks in many ways, but it's to do things spiritually under God's thought process. And so the human soul is what corresponds to humanity and human physical reality. The human spirit is what corresponds to spiritual, spiritual things and the spiritual reality. So without a human spirit, as a result of the fall, we can't understand the spiritual thought of God. Romans chapter 5 backs, us up for, backs that up for us as well. What we've identified in the first two lessons is that if any part of the form is missing, then the entire person or object is incapable of carrying out its designated function on the whole. So if you have a vehicle that's designed to drive and you take away one wheel, the vehicle, while it is designed to drive, cannot carry out its function because it's missing a part of its form, the tire or the wheel. Now if a part of the form is missing, then a part of the function is also missing. And that affects the overall ability of the person or object to carry out the objective for which it was designed and crafted. The second week we established that God's design for humanity was to glorify him and particularly to glorify him to angels first, to Satan and company. And Lucifer's claim was that he would be like God. He makes five I will statements in Isaiah. And we have statements in Ezekiel that also identify his attempt was to replace God. And his ultimate foundation for that approach was pride. 
And in his pride, he declared that God was not loving or just because God could not send a creation or a creature that he had created to hell when he gave that creature choice. And so Lucifer tried to transpose the blame for his pride to God, saying that you gave me choice, and therefore you, as a loving, per- loving being, cannot send me to the lake of fire for eternity. Uh, we are the appeal process, and God created a lower life form, that's us, humanity, to glorify him, and when we glorify him, the Greek word means to make uh, attributes known. So the idea is that we put a magnifying glass over who God is by doing the things he's asked us to do in the way he's asked us to do them. That's why form and function are both important. If the function is missing, it's because a part of the form isn't there or because it's not being utilized. So if the form is missing, the function's not going to be there. If the form is there, then there's a possibility that you can function properly in your design. So the problem for us (coughs) is that as a result of Adam and Eve's fall, we find a verse such as Romans 5.12, which identifies for us that we also are born spiritually dead and in a state of sinfulness. And because we are born in a state of sinfulness, we also then in our function sin. And so this is our problem. We have Romans 5.12, which says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This verse separates any thought process or any idea that even though it was Adam who sinned, we all have to have our first sin before we are separated from God. The separation occurred when Adam sinned. The result is that every human born is born separated from God. And we'll look at the exegesis for that to identify how that exactly works. So our problem, being born some at least six to 8,000 years after Adam, is that while we're born such a later date, the result of his fall means that we ourselves are fallen in our form and thus then in our function as well. Let's take a look at the text and identify a little bit what it's talking about. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This word, therefore, is from the Greek word dia, <coughs> and should be dia who. It's not in bold, so I don't know why I'm going to define it for you, but uh, the idea is because of what's being said in Romans 5, 1 through 11, the resultant clause is this statement in verse 12. The word just is the word that means indeed as. It's emphatically identifying that something is reality, and it's the word hosper. So, therefore, indeed as, and so what it's saying is that this is a reality, what we're saying is true, and it's backed up in what's been said in Romans 5, 1 through 11. So, therefore, indeed as, through, Greek preposition dia, used with the ablative case. So, the Greek word dia means through, and it's used with the preposition, or the ablative case, it is a preposition, it's used with the ablative case, which refers to source, so through the source of, is how we literally translate that. Now we need to find the source through which something came. So through the source of something, something has traveled. Therefore, indeed, as through the source of one man, and this we know to be Adam, man here is anthropu, and it means man, but it's singular, and it's specific. So we have a specific man, and Adam is here being referred to, I can't actually tell you it's Adam in the literal, because while it's referring to Adam, it's literally man, but it's based on initiation. It's a masculine gender in the Greek, and that initiation shows us the role that that man played in this process, and so the masculine gender in Koine Greek is identifying the role of initiation. So what's being identified is that this man, Adam, (coughs) through him, based on his initiation, sin came through into the world. So man, Adam here, initiated sin coming into the world through him. He's the one that chose. He's the one that made the choice. That initiated sin coming through him to the world. The gender identifies the role 
of the action. So this man, Adam, is the initiator who initiated the action of sin coming into the world. <clears throat> Indeed, as through the source of one man, sin, which means to miss the mark, it's the Greek word hamartano, and it's feminine, which identifies it's based on response. So the role of the man was to initiate through his choice to eat the fruit, sin, and sin, he missed the mark as a result of his choice. The response of his initiation, his choice, was that he missed the mark. So he initiated to choose to eat the fruit. As a result, the response to him eating the fruit and making that choice is that he missed the mark. So <coughs> this is a noun. So it's really literally the missing or the missing of the mark. So the missing of the, art of the mark was based on response. The mark that God had given to Adam and Eve was righteousness. And righteousness was you may eat from any tree of the garden freely except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the standard of God the bullseye, the target, is anything from the tree of the garden or the fruit of the garden you may eat except for this one tree. By choosing to eat from that one tree, he missed the mark in response. So sin entered into the world based on response to Adam's choice. Had Adam not chosen, and anyone after Adam not chosen, sin would not have come into the world as a response. What this means is that sin was not an initiation. Sin is a result. It's a consequence. God doesn't say you can sin or you cannot sin. He says do right. And if we do anything that falls short of that, there are consequences that that's sin. Because sin is the missing of the mark. It's the word hey hamartano. It means the, the missing of the mark, which refers to, it's an archer's term, referring to not hitting the bullseye. So you're aiming for something and you fall short of it. We oftentimes like to classify sin into actions or sometimes even thoughts or mindsets. The reality is anything that is not God's standard misses the mark. And when we think of it that way, it changes a little bit. Because we like to think of ourselves as good individuals who, you know, we don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't steal, those kinds of things. We, don't, we haven't murdered anyone today, so we're good, right? Well, that certainly those things would miss the mark, but the reality is who is leading us? Are we leading ourselves? The Bible says in the flesh is leading us, and God's not. That's missing the mark. And James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone knowing the right to do and not doing it sins. <laughs> Changes the focus. Oftentimes we focus on not doing the wrong thing. In reality, we need to be doing the right thing. Whatever it is in that moment is what is righteousness. And God dictates that, not us, unfortunately. If it was us... We'd have a whole lot more fun at this, but it's not us, it's God. And so whether we want something or someone else wants something, the reality is we have to find what God says in that moment is the right choice and follow that. Lots of complications arise from that kind of thought process, all of which identify impracticalities in the sense of, well, how do I do that when I'm trying to put my shoe on in the morning? Do I wait till God says, put the left one on over the right one? You can go that way if you want. Uh, the, the point is to be in a right relationship with God where if he wants you to put the left one on first so the spider crawls out of the right one before you get in there and it bites you, he could, you're in a place where he could direct you in that way. Otherwise, you do what you know you're supposed to do as it is. So we have in Romans 5.12 so far, it says, Therefore, indeed, as through the source of one man, based on initiation, the missing the mark, which is the response, entered into the world. This word enter, entered is from the Greek word, ice erkamai. It's a compound word, preposition ice meaning into, and the verb erkamai meaning to arrive at a place through travel. And so the, the focus of erkamai and, and the focus of ice erkamai is that something came into arrival at a place. And so you have something traveling from outside of one thing into another thing, with a focus on its arrival and an emphasis on its arrival. So the word, where it's located currently in the statement is where the emphasis is at. So we know that it was outside of the world, but it came into the world. It emerged onto scene, in other words. 
and it's a aorist verb, which identifies that it did that in a point in time. So we would translate that more literally, came into and arrived on scene. came into and arrived into the world in a point in time. Which point in time? Well, that point in time is the same point in time in which Adam initiated the action to eat the fruit. So Adam's missing the mark, or what we call Adam's original sin, brought sin into the world system in that point in time. So when he chose to eat, you put that time or point on the timeline, that's when sin entered the world. It didn't come in before, it didn't come in after. It came in simultaneous to him initiating the action to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <coughs> the natural consequence of us choosing anything besides God's righteousness is missing of the mark. When Adam chose that, he brought sin into the world, and this is the first time. But the emphasis, remember, of Isericomai is on the arrival. So the focus is on the fact that it exists in this world now. So once it's here, it's here. You can't get rid of it. It's here. It can only be judged now. And you have to create a new world system before you can be rid of sin. Uh, the Father says that he will do that if you read Revelation and a number of other books of prophecy identifying that he will bring into this world, he will get rid of this world and replace it with a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. Now the world system, I've, I've mentioned a little bit, it comes from the Greek word cosmos. It refers to the physical, tangible world and the systems that function in that world. Uh, we're in an election year. We're looking at a political system which all of us agree would be greatly flawed and is greatly flawed. That's a system in this world. We have uh, different systems of science and the different laws of science. Those are systems that govern this world. We have all sorts of different systems that function in this world to keep it working and governing in a specific way. Now, one of the things that has been a little bit more on my mind lately is a verse in James chapter 4 which says if you are friends with the world then you're enemies of God. And if it's a little more emphatic than that in James, he's actually identifying and blatantly identifying to his audience that if you want to be a friend of the world then you're making yourself an enemy to God. One of the things I don't really quite understand is why we have so many believers in this world, myself included at times, who want to agree with what the world is doing when we know that the world is led by Satan and company. As thinks particularly of the homosexual movement that seems like it's on the back burner now, but in the last few years has been a little bit more on the hot topic. Um, there's an individual I know who I uh, care about greatly who has, in my opinion, fallen victim to this lie of homosexuality and being okay. And this man, this young man, uh, finally said, "Well, I, I just this is just who I am and how God created me. I be, I guess." And it's sad. Because I know that he is struggling with certain feelings and certain thoughts. But one of the things that I wish he would understand is that if he is in line with this world, which is led by Satan and company, then he can't be in line with God. And that we've, we, he and I have discussed over and over many times uh, the difference between a traditional view of Scripture, as he calls it, or what I call a biblical view of Scripture, and what this world says believers must do to tolerate sin. And so his statement would be that sin, uh, homosexuality is not a sin. It's just misunderstood in the Bible. And mine would be, no, the Bible is very clear. Every passage that is mentioned, it's sinful. And then you go principles of creation. You go principles of um, man and woman. The fact that there's no Hebrew or Greek word for husband or wife. It's all male or female and the man and the woman. Um, it, it's all, all in there. It's completely implicit in Scripture that there is no idea of homosexuality as being righteous by God. But one of the things that I haven't been able to talk with and our conversations have broken down about, about with him is this idea 
that if you're going to be friends with the world, that you're making yourself enemy with God. So whatever the world's pushing, if we're on that side of things, we need to step back and look because the reality is if we're on the side of the, of the world then we, and we know Scripture says that the world is against God, then we need to really reevaluate because the reality is that that means somewhere along the line we've been deceived through our own lust pattern about what the world is teaching versus what God is teaching and homosexuality or a number of other things. And so it's kind of an interesting thought when you think about it. And it's one of the questions that I've, I've found when I struggle with certain things that I don't want to let go of myself or things I don't understand uh, in certain areas and arenas. Uh, but the reality is if I am siding with the world system, then I'm at trouble because I'm an enemy of God at that point. So we need to recognize this world system is governed by Satan and company. Now that political soapbox aside, let's get back to Romans 5.12. It says, Therefore, indeed, as through the source of man, one man, Adam, in, who initiated the action of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and thus bringing sin into the world in a point in time when he ate, so that it is now here in this world system, and the world system, again, refers to all the physical, tangible, material aspects of this world, the universe, and all the laws that govern it in the political, the civil, um, the, even the satanic approach here. There are spiritual forces at work in this world system, and we know Satan Company is the principality of the air, which the Bible says is in control of this world system. So as Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he brought into the world system the missing of the mark. And as a result of that, death came through sin. So we have sin coming into the world, and the result of sin arriving in the world is death. Death here is from the Greek word thanatos, which means death as a result of separation. There's a separation that occurs, and because of that separation, there is death. So you are always looking at two things at least here. Uh, you have an object which was living, something was taken out of it, and now it's dead. Or and if it's talking about a relationship, you have a separation that's between perhaps God and man, as is often the case in Scripture. And that separation, because of sin, identifies a death to that relationship. Uh, so that's the idea. There's a death as a result of separation. Now this is a masculine <coughs> noun, so it's back to the idea of based on initiation. What initiated the action to bring in death. How did death enter in the world? Well, it came in that same moment when sin came in. Now that was the response to Adam's choice to sin, but the response to sin entering the world was the initiation of death. Something initiated death coming into the world through sin. Now what we need to look at here is the character of God And we're going to focus on the first aspect here, just righteousness, real quickly this evening. Righteousness identifies that God is in conformity to that which is proper in all relationships. The relationships we're talking about here are man to God, God to, or God to man, God to the earth, God to you know, Satan and company, God to anything. How God relates to anything is exactly proper every single time. And when we look at the standard as far as us looking at for what's righteous, we're looking for God's standard. Why? Because he himself is righteous and he is right in every relationship. When we deal with righteousness, and someday it'd be great to do a study just on that word, when we deal with righteousness, we're looking for conformity to the standard, and the standard is about what's proper in, in regards to relationships with everything else. Now, if something happens which is improper in a relationship, someone who is righteous must find something which brings that relationship back into proper balance. And so we get justice that comes as a result of righteousness. So when you hear that God is just, it's because he is righteous. Justice is the result of righteousness. Because God is righteous, he must carry out justice. He must do what it takes to restore proper balance to that relationship. And this is where Lucifer had his first issue. 
Lucifer was given the choice to repent from his thought process, to submit himself back to the law of God. He said, no, I will become God. I will establish my kingdom. I will tear down yours and replace it with mine. So God said, no, you will be cast in the lake of fire. God's sovereign Satan couldn't have pulled it off anyway. So here's the idea. We have God, who is righteous, who says, when you eat from this, or if you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you make that choice, then you will die spiritually instantly. And when you die spiritually instantly, what happens? There's going to be a separation that's occurred. And here, God is separating out the spiritual breath, or the life in the spirit, which as we saw from the nismat a few lessons back, nismat means breath. It refers to the, the agent that God puts into man in his soul and in the original creation in his spirit that jump starts or is that spark to life. I was talking with a young man I graduated with uh, just about a year ago now, and he's in, uh, I believe he's actually in Central at, in the, his internship in the medical uh, field. He's trying to become a doctor, and he's in the final stages of that. And I was doing some research on my own about the oxygen and the lungs and the bloodstream and uh, various things related to the respiratory function. And as I was researching it, I came to be surprised to find out that some of the oxygen we take in, they don't know where it goes. And it was something like 72% of the oxygen they could account for that we took in in a breath they could account for, but the rest of it they couldn't. And so I shot a quick message off to this young man. Um, he's a pretty good student, so I figured it's a pretty safe res uh, resource. And I said, hey, this is what I'm understanding. Have you come across anything that you know, modern, modern uh, medicine is teaching about that, you know, recent studies and stuff? He said, no, we, we still don't know where it goes. I said, well, you know, could, it, could it just go right out in the exhale and just have traveled through and not be necessary? He said, no, it's a whole different system. It would be totally taken out in the process. Okay, well, where does it go? He said, I don't know. I said, well, if you find out, let me know. I said, okay. Haven't heard from him since. And there's, there's somewhere in the body that we need this oxygen. You don't have 100% of oxygen coming in and 72% of it identifiable in the body, and then what is that left? 28% that we don't know where it goes. Somehow, it's somewhere in the body. It goes somewhere or does something or perhaps just sits there. Which was the other question I asked. Could it just sit in the lungs as a reserve in case you need <laughs> this extra boost of oxygen? You know, if your adrenaline kicks up or something like that. He said that's a theory, but he said personally he didn't think that it was founded, well-founded in medicine. So we still don't know. Science still doesn't know if God does. Now, the reason I brought that whole aspect into it is because when we studied the creation of man, it said God breathed into man in the breath of the body, uh, the breath of lives in the Hebrew. It's English, it's singular, and Hebrew it's dual, which identifies two. It's two lives. We know soul life and spirit life came into being as a result of that breath. And that word breath is nismat. It's only used by God, or in reference to God. God's the only one that gets to play with nismat, with that kind of breath. And so it's this spark life kind of idea. It's what generates and causes life in an individual. So without that, you don't have a human soul that's living or a human spirit that's living. You have the ability to have a, a human soul that's alive and a human spirit that's alive, but you don't actually have a living soul or spirit. And so <clears throat> when we have that being initiated into man by God, and then as a result of sin, God has to restore this relationship. He has to then remove that spiritual breath or that breath in this human spirit. And so the result is that the spirit is separated from the nismat, the breath, and there's death that occurs as a result of that. It was the nismat that gives the spirit life. Nismat's the Hebrew word used for breath in that passage. And so we have death as a result of separation. The human spirit loses the nismat, so it's separated from that and becomes dead. And God must take that spirit out as a result of man missing the mark. So when Adam chose to take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the response was that the missing of the mark came into the world. Sin came into the world. Death came through sin. When sin was accomplished, and James says this, it also brings forth death. So when sin was accomplished, when Adam chose to eat and ate, sin came into the world. As a result, death came through sin. So death is a result of separation. We're talking about spiritual death here. And it was based on initiation, man's initiation to eat, God's initiation to respond in order to justify and balance the scales to remove the life, the, the nismat from the spirit to create a dead spirit in man. 
So the initiation is twofold. It's one, Adam initiated, in essence, by eating to initiate death as a result of separation. That was the consequence. So he, in choosing to eat, chose to spiritually die. And so he initiated that action. And God, in order to remain righteous, must uphold his statement that in the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die spiritually. He must have had some initiation aspect in that as well. Again, the role is there. So death came through sin. So you have sin entering the world through Adam, through his choice. As a result of sin entering the world, you have death that comes into the world. The focus there, again, is as a result of separating out. And this is talking about spiritual death, not physical. Now, the word spread is dielthane. It's actually a relative of isericamai. And dielthane means to arrive at a destination through a means. And we're now we're dealing with this word down here. So death is a result of separation, spiritual death. Put that up there for you. This is the death of the human spirit. Came through sin. So when Adam sinned, uh, it missed the mark. Spiritual death resulted because of sin. It came through sin. And so death, this is the same word here, Spiritual death, as a result of separation of the nismat from the human spirit, spread to all men. And this is dielthane. Dielthane, which means arrived at a destination through a means. It's also aorist, and when we're talking about this same point in time, so we're identifying that it arrived at a destination in a point in time through a specific means. What was the means? It came through sin, or through, yes, th through sin. They're still talking about death. So death arrived at a destination where? In this world, through sin. Sin came as a result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Now, the word... To here is not pros, but it's ice, which means into. The focus is totally different. To, in the Greek, identifies coming to a point and resting at that point. Ice identifies going into something and being in, t in that object. What's the object here? To all men, pontos anthropos, which means every single human being. It's talking about humanity, not talking about biology. The definite article isn't there, so we know that that holds up. If the definite article was there, it'd be to all the men. And so the folks would be, well, every man, uh, male biology, has death in him. But the women get off free. No, it's all humanity is being referred to with the lack of the definite article. So because of Adam's sin and resulting spiritual death, spiritual death came, arrived at a destination into all men through a means. Now, what was the means? It was through Adam. And it comes into all men in a point in time. Now, it doesn't come into all men when Adam sins. When Adam sinned, what happened? Sin entered into the world in that point in time. The result of sin being in the world was spiritual death for Adam. And through, or through sin, spiritual death spread, came into all men. Well, if I'm not alive and you're not alive, when Adam ate the fruit, how does it come into us? Again, it's not identifying that it goes to them, arrives at that destination to the point of you, but being in you. If you aren't physically alive, how is spiritual death in you? It can't be. What we know and what we learn elsewhere in Scripture and studying and harmonizing things together is that the point in time referred to here with de when death enters into each of us individually is that moment where we take our first breath. And we'll I'd substantiate that with the next few phrases here in the Greek. So it says, And so death spread, it arrived at a destination through a means into all men, all humanity. There's not a single person who escapes this because it's a principle of operation. 
Every single person that's been alive and will be alive, young, old, whatever, if they have been born physically, they have spiritual death spread to them. Their body has the potential to be spiritually alive, but they don't have that aspect they need to live spiritually in that first moment of breath. That word because, it's two words, it's F-ho, and F-ho literally means upon which. It's the instrumental case, or the instrumental yeah, case and the neuter gender. The instrumental case identifies that there's an instrument being used, and the neuter gender supports that because the neuter gender identifies something to be a tool or instrument. So you have upon which, which identifies a moment in time, and it's upon that moment in time that something else happens. And so when is it the spiritual death arrives at a destination through a means? Well, it arrives through that means as a result of what Adam did, but in every single human in that moment they first are born. And so we have spiritual death spreading to all men in a specific moment, and upon that moment, all sinned. Now this is a tool used to accomplish something. So in essence, you can think of a waiter carrying around a tray with your food order or your drink order on it. That's the tool upon which they bring you your drink or your food. So the idea here is that there's a moment in time that spiritual death arrives into all men. And that is the tool used to bring about sin in all humanity. Now this word sinned is the verb form of what we had up here, the missing of the mark. So death spread to all men upon which all missed the mark of the standard of God. Now, it's verb and it's aorist, so it's talking about a point in time. When we have physical birth and separation of the, the infant from the mother, so that that infant is on its own and breathing on its own, we have that moment in time which spiritual death arrives. That first breath. God has to impart life to the soul and the spirit in that moment. And he will not impart spiritual life in that moment of first breath because of Adam's sin. Now, if Adam had a sinned and there were offsprings, that would have been done. Something changed when Adam sinned, either in his DNA or in the process of God, where God says, I cannot impart spiritual life at physical birth. So the moment upon which all missed the mark in an action, and that's um, active, it's to perform the action to miss the mark. So the moment which I missed the mark and the rest of us missed the mark is that moment that we first took that first breath. Why? Did I sin in that first breath? No, I did not. What happened? I was born without a part of my form. Spiritual or human spirit was lacking. If I don't have a part of my form, I can't carry out my intended design function. So because I don't have a human spirit that's alive at physical birth, where the body and the soul are alive together, then I'm missing the mark of my form. Because of that, I am substandard. I'm missing the mark of God in my function. So because I don't have a living human spirit, I perform the action to miss the mark. It doesn't mean that I went out and lied in that first moment. I couldn't even form for phonemes or morphemes yet. So the idea here is that through the seed of Adam, we have sins passed down. So spiritual death is passed down through Adam. Romans 5.12 is teaching us that because of Adam's sin in that moment and the result of his sin being spiritual death in him, that the result is that every single person which comes from Adam is also spiritually dead. And because we have spiritual death which spreads into all men, or missing a part of our form, then upon missing part of our form, we are all performing the action to miss the mark in our standard, or in our um, action. If we don't have the form, we can't carry out the function. Now, let's take a look real quickly at Isaiah 64.6 as well. 
I'll erase the board quickly because this harmonizes with it. And we look at this passage when we talk about human good, which we'll get to in a few lessons from now. But we want to focus on a specific moment brought up in this passage. Isaiah 64, 6. You have the prophet Isaiah speaking and writing and says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Now, a couple of things going on here. The word become is nihii, which is the best way I can pronounce it. That's not how it is actually pronounced, but it's as close as I can get. Nihii sounds almost Chinese instead of Hebrew. But this word here, become, means to exist in a state of being. And it identifies that you have come into that existence as a result of something prior, to exist in a state of being. Now again, it's the way yiktal form of the Hebrew, which identifies that a transition occurred from one state into another because of a past event. So we have a past event which occurs that transitions us from one state that we would have been in into a new state that we are now in. So we have all become like one who is unclean. So this is the second state. We became unclean. If the, if the action in the past hadn't occurred, we wouldn't be unclean, is the implication of the Hebrew grammar. So for all us have become, in a, as a result of an action prior, like one who is unclean. This word unclean is temi, and it means impure according to an established standard. impure according to an established standard. So in comparison to a standard, we are impure. That is the result of a transition we, that took place in a moment in the past in a completed action. Well, what action was that? When Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all of humanity became like one who is impure according to an established standard. When he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that is the moment, that's the action that transitioned humanity from pure, according to the standard, to impure, according to the standard. In fact, you can remember in the creation where God looks at man and says, this is good. And the Hebrew word there, tob, in that context, means this is the right tool, this is the proper tool to carry out my intended, my intended objective, which was to glorify him. So he creates a being that is the proper, the right tool, the good tool to use to glorify him. And as a result of Adam's sin, we became impure according to his standard. Then we have the word righteous. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. This is sidkote, which means all of our conformation to <coughs> to an ethical or moral standard. And it's an adjective describing our deeds. So it's saying that all of our attempts or all of our actions, all of our deeds that we are trying to conform to an ethical or moral standard are like a filthy garment. So we have an all, of, all our confirmation to an ethical or moral standard in our deeds are like a filthy garment. So everything that we try to do on our own, Everything that is us in an impure, unclean state, a body and human soul functioning without a living spirit or, or a spirit which is leading us, produces righteous deeds that are like a filthy garment. So we look at the deeds and we go, that's righteous. That man just gave money to the homeless. He must be doing a righteous thing. Uh, come to find out that man's a Buddhist. Wait a second. Now we've got a problem. Uh, well, then apparently we lead to the thought process, well, all religions are good, in essence. That's a problem. Everything that we do that's body or soul only doesn't have the leadership of the Holy Spirit for us in the church age leading our human spirit. Everything we do independent from God apart from Him is a self-righteous deed. This is what's being referred to here. Something that we've done on our own strength, our own ability, our own thought process, a deed which the Bible says are filthy garments. Even going to church can be a righteous deed that is like a filthy garment. Reading your Bible, even teaching a class, preaching can be that way. What's the difference? 
Are you doing it from the source of your human soul? Or are you doing it from the human spirit being led by the Holy Spirit? It's the only difference. Same action, different motivator, different power. It's the only difference. Which is why it can get so difficult. And why we should never get in the business of looking at someone's actions and saying, well, because of their actions, they must not be saved. We don't know. If that person says they're saved, that's all you've got. They could be lying through their teeth, but you don't know. Only God knows. No one can know whether you're saved or not. Only you and God know. Now, we look at people's actions and we go, well, they clearly aren't saved because look at what the stupid thing they did. Well, what are we doing in that moment? An action which if someone saw could say, hey, that person must not be saved. They're judging and condemning that person. <laughs> so you see the problem. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. The word filthy garment here, uh, it's a Hebrew phrase, two words, edim, beged, and it means menstruation garment. Here the prophet Isaiah uses the filthy garment in the English representing the menstrual rags of the woman's ultimate phase of her menstrual cycle. So the very best thing that man can do apart from God is, in God's eyes, through the prophet Isaiah, menstrual rags. And here it's talking about used ones. Well, that just kind of hurts, doesn't it? It's just kind of painful. But what is being talked about here? What's being brought up here? Wasn't it through the woman that the Messiah would come? If you look at the fall and look at what God says, or the Son of God says to each of the three, the serpent, the man, and the woman, it, he says to the woman, your seed will, will finish this off. It comes through you, the woman, the Messiah. And the Messiah will crush this serpent, Lucifer. Now why this 30-day roughly monthly cycle for the female? What would it do? It cleans, cleans, cleaned out the eggs. The unused eggs would be cleansed out. There's a number of other things it does as well. But it basically resets the female. And what happens is that when you're an Israeli or a Jewish woman and you're going through that time period in your, your monthly cycle, you have ceremonial uncleanliness imputed to you or you're identified as ceremonially unclean. You didn't do anything that violated God's standard. Just the fact that you were having your monthly cycle at that point made you unclean. It doesn't seem fair either. I don't think the whole thing is not fair to women, frankly, but that's how God set it up. It was a monthly reminder to the Hebrews that the Messiah would come through a woman and that it wasn't based upon man's attempts to bring that Messiah into fruition, but it was based upon God. And so the, sta the comparison here is that the very best deeds that man can produce apart from God, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. If it's not God leading you do it through it, it's filthy garment. It's a menstruation rag in the eyes of God. That's a pretty, pretty straight for us. Uh, the New Testament uses the term inherently worthless, not talking about the menstruation rags or the monthly cycle of the female, but uses our, identifies our deeds as either inherently valuable because they match the standard of righteousness or inherently worthless because they're counterfeit and don't match that standard. And so we have Isaiah 64, 6 identifies in the same point that Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man, humanity, transitioned into one who is impure in his nature. And because of that, all of our actions, even those attempts we say are righteous or to do good, and that's what we use the term human good, even our attempts to do human good in the eyes of God are not. What dictates whether they're righteous or not? They've got to be done from the human spirit being led by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it any other way. New Testament harmonizes that out. Well, our time is quickly up here. Probably grateful for that. Well, let's finish this process out with an identification of the steps and the uh, process that led to us having a sin nature. Here's the process of consequence of the fall of Adam. In Genesis 3, 1 to 10, we have the story of the fall, which identifies for us that Adam sinned. Romans 5, 12 identifies that as well. In, number, in the second part of the process, Adam lost the nismat of his human spirit. This is spiritual death through separation of breath and spirit. So he has a spirit that's dead, not a living spirit. If he has that breath back in there, now he's got a living spirit again. Uh, you can look at cross-referencing. That's what CF means. If you ever see that in a book, uh, research or otherwise, uh, theological or otherwise, CF means cross-reference. And it's Genesis 2, 7, 17, 3, 1 through 10 that identifies those principles for us. Consequently, 
Adam was spiritually separated from God. Process, or step three in the process, spiritual death comes through Adam's seed. This is what we just learned in Romans 5.12. It's through Adam that sin came into the world, and through, through progeneration from Adam that every single person is born lacking a human spirit that's alive and functioning. Part four of the process is dichotomous humanity, body and soul. This is man in his fallen state is spiritually dead at birth. We see John 3, 1 to 16, where Nicodemus and Jesus are having a campfire conversation, or so I would imagine, where Nicodemus asks Jesus, how can a man be born again? Uh, can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, you must be born of water. That's physical birth reference there. And spirit, in order to be born again. And it's actually the phrase born again is badly translated. It means born from above. Uh, it makes it a whole lot more simple <laughs> when you think of it that way. Part five in the process of the consequence of Adam's fall is as a result of being spiritually dead at birth, humanity exists in a state which misses the mark of God's design for his form. So in our state, in our form, we miss the mark of God. And because of that, which is part six, as a result, as, a, as existing in a sinful state, missing the mark in his form, man is incapable of carrying out the function for which he was designed. Isaiah 64, 6. We cannot produce righteous deeds when we are not possessing a human spirit and if we're not operating spiritually in that possession. Part seven, man's sinful, sinful actions are the result of Adam's spiritual death being passed down genetically through the seed of man. This you can look at cross-referencing five, Romans 5.12, what we just looked at, and Isaiah 64, 6. Eight, nine, and 10, each man is physically born missing the mark of God's standard in his form and consequently his function. The same two verses just referenced, you can cross-reference there. Number nine, sinful actions are, are the result of lacking a human spirit from which man is able to govern the soul's use of the body in carrying out his God-given stewardship responsibilities. Man, apart from God, is left to glorify himself. And that's what we see in, in this world. Man, apart from God, only does things which please himself, pleases himself, even to the point of helping others because it looks good to others, whether it's for pride or whether it just that's the right thing to do and I just because that's, that's just what I think I should be doing. If it's not God leading us, it's sin and it's wrong. Number 10, dichotomous man is incapable of remedying his lack of a living spirit in and of himself. We cannot generate in ourselves spiritual life. The only thing we can do is respond in faith, depending upon Christ to be our Savior. The result of that is that we are born from above spiritually. Holy Spirit indwells us and generates in us a living human spirit. Romans 5, 6 John 3, 3 to 6, identify that process for us, as well as some verses in 1 Corinthians. That is the process and consequence of Adam's fall. So when Adam fell, those 10 steps came to all of us. There's a number more we could look at, but that's establishing the origination of the sin nature. We each have a nature that is sinful in its state because Adam chose to eat. Now we can overcome that sin nature by depending upon Christ to be our Savior first, and then walking in fellowship with God second. Anything that's apart from that means the sin nature is leading us and running us. And that's where the problem begins. So we will look at, in the upcoming lessons, the sin nature, establishing its anatomy, establishing how it functions and thrives within us, and what we can do to stop letting it lead us and guide us in exchange for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.